Hey, what's up? I'm Joel Madden. This is Artist Friendly from Alternative Press, and today I'm talking to Gabe Saporta from Midtown and Cobra Starship. What's up, Gabe? Good to see you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. How's it going? It's going pretty good, I think. Yeah, yeah. What's know. going on? What's uh? What's the? I was driving over and I was thinking about like what 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 do I really want to talk to Gabe about? We 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 get to like catch up every now and then. It always feels like every couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> like we'll always see each other like somewhere, and we always have really nice catch ups. But we've known each other now for twenty three years. I met you in 2000, early 2000. Yeah, we were kids. And yeah, we were kids. You were in Midtown. Mm-hmm. And you were cool. It was cool. You were around the scene up there in, where are you from? Jersey. Okay. That's yeah. New York, Jersey. Mm-hmm. There's like, there was a, it was a very blossoming punk, emo, well, hardcore, all that up there. Yeah. Uh, it always seemed so cool to me. I always, always thought that the guys up there were like, somehow they knew more or whatever. I mean, we were like from like Podunk, Maryland, but like we're outside of Baltimore, Baltimore proper? No, like okay. down south wow. from DC. Okay. So like down in the sticks for the for my for my formative years and then I left we left home uh right before 18 we turned 18 and um then we went to Baltimore, uh Annapolis, DC. I lived all over there. Um and and was there a scene there? This, there, there was so in Baltimore there was a scene. In Annapolis there was like a scene. It was like a real artsy kind of like uh, scene, and 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 that's where I think I got a lot of my. I think I I really like developed leaving home and going into the world. That little place there was a bands in Annapolis like Jimmy's Chicken Shack and people there that like we really like that really I feel like fostered us um and then baltimore was its own thing and then dc was its own thing and dc felt i mean it was really cool it just felt a little bit like you were on the outside of it if you weren't on the inside of it even as a band what, what was the inside because like my favorite like minor threat is like that that whole scene that came yeah the discord scene that scene it, it was didn't exist when you guys were coming up anymore right it was a kind of not a thriving like it was right. so it was but it was still legendary and they were all they were still around huh. and dc had that like that kind of it it, it, it had that vibe to it like there was, it was, so there was definitely a DC scene. Now the people that go to the shows in DC, Baltimore, they go all around were great. Not to say the bands weren't great, but it was like, I don't know that we ever got on the inside of it, you know? So I didn't really get to experience it. Like from a band, I, as a fan, I got to a little bit, go to shows and stuff. But anyways, I always would come up when we started touring up the East coast I would see bands like yours and 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 I'd see this like kind of scene growing with with all you guys and it just seemed so cool. But anyways, we met back then, 2000. And then when I think about your career, you go Midtown, then you go Cobra Starship. And now you're you have a music company behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> But like, once in a while, I'll come out to do an interview. Once in a while, yeah. By the way, me too. Like, I feel like I'm behind the scenes, but I'm not because I do stuff. Like, I host a TV show and I do this show and I like do stuff. But for all intents purposes, how we spend our time, we are behind the scenes. 
we're working with artists. Right. We're we're discovering artists. We're helping artists. We're trying to help artists like get their start, or maybe they had a false start and they're trying to like figure out how this all works. So you're probably having a similar experience to me, you know, with MDDN over the last like nine years. You're probably having a very similar experience. In, oh, like, has it been nine years? Yeah, eight, nine years. Congrats, yeah. Congrats, bro. That's thank sick. you. Uh, thank you. So when I look at your career and think about it, and I've gotten the, I've gotten to kind of see you all along the way, and your answer is probably the same as mine. But like, what's your favorite era of your career? Oh shit, my favorite era of my career. I'd say like the bookends, you know? I think like the beginning when you just don't know anything and you're just like, wow, I'm just doing shit with my friends. naive and going for it. And you're like, wow, I'm just like, I bought a van for 2,700 bucks and I'm just going down the coast and playing like house shows and it's sick and you know, there's like 12 people there and it's just like super pure, right? It's just like, you're just there for the music to like do shows with your friends and you're just like, it's just like a project. It's like a school project. It's like, I mean, that's how it started. It's like an extracurricular at school. Like I don't want to play on the sports teams. I don't want to like do anything. I just want to make music with my friends. And so like that beginning was like really special. Like I remember turning 21 on the road and there was like, you know, 12 people like in like some small town in Florida. And like, that's awesome. You know, that was my 21st birthday. You know, I didn't go to like a big club or anything, you know? I had my 21st birthday with MXPX. That's awesome. (laughs) In Oklahoma. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) So... You know, I, I I remember that very fondly. And then the other end of that, which was just like the full on crossing into mainstream, doing the whole thing, like the stuff that you never thought you would do, like award shows, that kind of stuff. And you're like, yeah. wow, we're just like this, like you really just- It's the ride. Yeah, the ride. Got it's like we really just did it, you know? Like, it's, it's funny when I got into music, like like you, you know, I, I didn't come, I didn't know anyone in the music business. I'm an immigrant, you know, my parents are not like very artistic. Um, oh, so you're an immigrant from where? So I was born in Uruguay, in a country called uh, in a country called Uruguay. A lot of people don't know where it is. <clears throat> They're like, "Oh, Paraguay." I'm like, "No, it's doesn't. It's not. It's not even near Paraguay. It's between Argentina and Brazil on the coast." Um, it was. It's like it's kind of like the <laughs> the DMZ of South America. Like right. when the Portuguese Empire was fighting the Spanish Empire, they had like this little wedge of a country between mm-hmm. them. That was Uruguay. Um, and so the Spanish I speak has like influences from Portuguese as well, uh, but it's it's far. It's really far south. Um, and I came here when I was four, and I grew up in Queens, and I, I came here like on a tourist visa, and we just never left, right? So like we were illegal for like four years. Then my dad finally got a job. I mean, I, I've told my story a bunch of times, so I, don't, I won't rehash the whole thing. But yeah, I didn't know shit. I didn't know music could be a business. I didn't know music right. was like a, you know. A real job. Yeah, and especially not for someone that's not doing pop, right? right? Like, you know, I think the first time that I felt like, oh, I could actually do this was when Nirvana came out, you know? Because before that, even if you liked rock, it was like, it was still very theatrical. It was very big. It didn't feel like yeah. something you could do yourself. It feels like, oh, this is like, you know, some kind of institution that you have to like be a part of to be in it. But, you know, Nirvana was like, well, no, we're a garage band. We just did this in our garage. Their friends were not like dressed up. We don't even wash our hair, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I felt like that. In the, and I, I remember seeing them for the first time on TV when I was 11 years old. And I was just like, wow. Um, and I think that put me on a trajectory to being like, okay, I don't have to know the music business. I don't have to know anyone in the music business. I don't even have to be a great musician. I just yeah. have to love music. And I always love music. Um, and then that inspired me to feel like I could do it too. It's funny because like when you say that, I hear it and I go, same. 
didn't think it was a job, was told it wasn't a job actually when I was in high school when we started our band, was that when they're, you know, in the civics class or whatever, they had these aptitude tests we had to take. And my, uh, I, I did terrible on tests always historically, like Me just too. terrible grades, not for not trying, just 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 really bad uh, at, at that, that kind of work. Different um, brain. Yeah, different brain. brain. Where we were from, it wasn't a job. And we, but we always wanted to get out with the band. We wanted to go places with it. So I think we were always ambitious, but we were naive enough to think we could do it. So we just left home and we started trying. And if you showed me all of the things that we'd have to do and all of the hoops we'd have to jump through and all of the, the twists and turns we'd have to go on to, to get into our career, through our career, past chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and through each kind of thing, I think if you, showed, if you put that all in front of me now, I'd go, I'm not doing that again. That's fucking too much work. But because you're young and you don't know any better and you're naive enough to believe you can do it, you can do it. And you can like be, uh, it, it can be new and exciting the whole time. I always think about like, how do you encourage people to take a chance and do something that they really want to do versus what they're told they should do, what they think they should probably do because the statistics say X, Y, Z. All of the kind of norms are what kind of keep us from going off on our own path and trying to do what we really want to do, I think, sometimes. And we were just naive enough to think that it would work out, that we would, that we could do it. But now when I look back at all of the work, and especially getting to this stage in my life where I've gone through probably like two, two iterations of a career, and now I'm in this other chapter, um, I kind of like this this next act of what what we're trying to do in the world. Um, I think we're equally naive in this act because it's a different space than you know than we're just making records, putting records out, touring, promoting those records, and doing the things around that. I think being naive is sometimes the the greatest strength we have when we're trying to succeed because it allows us to go forward without knowing how hard it's going to be. And as long as you have the resilience and the wind to, the will to go forward, you can keep going forward. I think kids today might be up against more because there's more information. So it, even though there's more access and they can share their music and you could say social media makes it easier and this and that, they can make music on their computers, that makes it easier. There's also a bunch of information information telling them it's really hard. And you could say it's it's harder in that that respect. And you could also argue it's easier for people to get it out. but then sometimes things get big too soon and they don't get to grow the right way. So like, I think we have a unique perspective coming from the era we did being in now trying to help people go through the same experience. I think we have some perspective that might help. I do think the beginning of my career, I feel the same way. The, the, the beginning was my favorite. And then this part, is my favorite because I have a family and, you know, like you, we, I think we're actually choosing a lifestyle yeah, over a bunch of other things. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think a lot of what you said is so true. I think, you know, in terms of how to get kids today who are starting, yeah, you know, so much information sometimes can actually overwhelm you and stifle you. Same thing like when you're writing a song, if you like are thinking too much about like, 
how, what the song's gonna sound like when it's finished, you're never gonna be able to write it. You're gonna get writer's block, right? Same thing when you're doing a career, right? If you're always thinking about what the result is gonna be, you are not maybe gonna take the chances that you would have had you not even known about the possibilities of the results. So, and then I think that really just goes back. I, I just try to approach everything from like a fundamentals point of view, from the principles, right? So especially when you're doing art or anything creative, I always believe that it has to be about the journey, right? The means are the end within themselves. So when you're starting playing music, when you're doing shows, if you're doing it just because you say, I want people like me, I want to be big, I want to go, like, it's cool to have goals, but if that's your focus every day, you're not going to be connecting in the moment that you're at, at right there. So I think it's really just about being in the present moment at all times when you're writing a song, when you're playing a show, when you're, when you're embarking on whatever you want to do for a living, like... You have to do it. You have to be just led by the passion and do it because you love it. And if something works out, great. Awesome. You know? And if it doesn't, you have an amazing journey. And it'll take you. You don't know where that road is going to take you. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's not so much uh, naivete because I, I don't think, I mean, I've known you since you were young. You've never been naive. You were always very smart, you, you know, and, and. In some ways, for yeah, sure. Yeah. But you were focused on the inputs, not the outputs, right? Yeah. And I think that's super important. And that's something that I try to remind artists of all the time when I talk to them. It's like, don't worry about what's gonna happen. You don't know, you can't plan for it. The only thing you can control is like what you're doing now. And right now, are you present in what you're doing? Are you fully invested in what you're doing? That's what you gotta ask yourself. Are your parents artistic? No, not even a little bit, no. What do they think about what you've done with your life? Um, you know, I mean, anyone who has immigrant parents, they know that like, they're just like, oh, you got to get a job. You got to be a doctor. You got to go to school, you know, like doctor, lawyer, engineer. My dad was always like that, you know, because like his dad was an immigrant too in Uruguay, like escaped, escaped the war and like got there in the thirties. And, you know, and, and I think that it was just like, oh, you have to just like make sure that no matter what you have some kind of skill that if there's a war, they're still going to need you like a doctor is yeah. still going to be needed in a war, you know? So that's what my dad is. My dad's a doctor. My dad was a doctor in South America and came here and had to do medical school all over again. So oh, he's wow. very resilient, you know, so that I, I get a lot of inspiration from my dad in that way. But um, yeah, they didn't, didn't believe in that. They didn't understand. They didn't believe in right. that. They thought I was wasting time. I remember when I left school, it's funny, I did really poorly in high school and then mm -hmm. I got to college and in college, it's like, you can be in a class of 400 kids. It doesn't matter if you look weird. Like you don't get judged for like some of the small things you get judged for in high school. Right. You, you'll actually get dinged for grades and kind of can, can impede you. So I, I did really well in college. Like I was there for three semesters and then I left, you know, so my dad went on a roller coaster ride of like always being disappointed in me throughout all of high school. I get to college. I'm finally doing well. And then uh, I'm like, peace, I'm out. <laughs> he's like, he's like, dude, I don't know what you're doing. He's like, you can always just like, uh, have a place to stay at my house and take anything you want from the fridge, but you're done. So he cut me off, you know? Right. And, uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, cool. You know? Uh, and I just went and did it. So I think for, for many years, it was just like, kind of like on the side skeptically. And then I think when I bought my first house, then he was like, okay, you're like, oh, this you, is like a you've business. You've made a life for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Parents just want their kids to be okay. That's you know, it. Yeah. He's not trying to live. He doesn't care. Like, and he doesn't really understand the music business or whatever. Like I remember when I started Cobra Starship versus Midtown, like, you know, he like, you know, he liked that I was doing music. He liked that people were coming to shows, but he didn't understand the music. It was like loud and aggressive, you know? Yeah. Um, especially for, for he likes. But Cobra's was like, you know, more dance based, right? So it was like more rhythmic. My dad is like into like South American, like, like, Congos and like that kind of shit, like percussive stuff. Right. He's like, like jazz infused <laughs> bro, percussion. He, so he's like, he's like, man, he's like, 
the bongos in this song, the, the, the rhythms is so great, man. The rhythms is great. I really feel like this could break out. If you just, you know, you just, mm -hmm. if you just get on Leno, Jay Leno, you play this, this would go huge if you just go on Jay Leno. So yeah. that was like his conception of like what it means to be huge. Just get on Jay Leno. And, and you probably yeah. did play on Leno. Well, so. that's the funny thing. One day, like years later, this was when, I, when we first started hearing the music and that was his response, you know? And then years later, we ended up playing on Jay Leno and Jay Leno comes backstage before the show to say hi and everything. And uh, I tell him the story and he's like, oh, really? That's hilarious. Let's call your dad right now. <laughs> I'm like, really? I'm like, here. So I give him my phone. He calls my dad's office and he's like, hi, is Dr. Supporter there? And it's like, yeah, who's this? He's like, this is Jay Leno. They hang up on him. <laughs> That's crazy. Jay Leno is a nice guy. Super nice guy. So I call back. I'm like, oh, hey, it's Gabe. Is my, my dad there? I'm like, dad, that really was Jay Leno. <laughs> he's like, Jay Leno. Because I'm like, Dr. Supporter, you're harder to get to than the president. <laughs> Dude, Jay Leno is cool, man. He's, um, he, you know how he's really into old cars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was driving down the road. I was on my way home one day. I was going up Coldwater. I live up Mulholland. And, um, and I am pulling around Coldwater and like there's, I, I'm driving around this corner and then there's like a little stretch and I see this like old car, this really beautiful looking old car on the side of the road. And I'm like, oh, that's beautiful car you're always going to end up on the side of the road in old cars. I love old cars. I have up a couple, but like, you know, if you're going to drive it, you have to like build in the time for, you might end up in a parking lot somewhere. Cause they just have these random problems. All right, the time, right, right. right. And I, as I get closer to the car, I'm like focused on the car, kind of trying to figure out what, what year is it? What model is it as an old car lover? And then I see the guy next to it. I'm like, is that Jay Leno? And it was Jay Leno. And, um, I pulled over and then an another car had pulled over right in front of me and at the same time just got out and was like, we were like, hey, do you need help? Uh, can, you know, and he was like, yeah, if you guys can just push me, I can turn it around and I can coast down because it's an upward hill the whole way. So and he's like, I can just coast down to the bottom of the hill and, and someone can pick me up. And we just pushed the car. He jumped in, zoom, and, and like... He was like, thanks, guys, as he, like, rolled away. And, uh, Did he know I who like, you were? I, we didn't even exchange. We, I, we didn't even Did you play Jay Leno ever? We did, yeah. yeah. It's so funny. But, like, it was such a quick interaction because yeah. it wasn't the safest spot to be pulled over in this little part of the road, and it was a busy time. And um, it was more just, like, I think car guy like you help the guy, you you just know to do it if there's an old car and you see a spot someone's in. Anyways, it was really quick. It was just like, we didn't even think to chit chat. I was just like, you need help? And he's like, yeah, I got to try to make a U-turn here and coast down the hill. So and like, he was really nice. He was like, thanks a lot, guys, as he like coasted away. And I was like, if there was any Jay Leno story I want to have, that's it. it yeah. It's something with old cars. And he was like, exactly what you'd hope. Jay Leno would be. I mean, I met him before we played the show, and uh, that was really cool. But but this was just a cool little, like, on a Tuesday afternoon. That's awesome. You know what I mean? So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's funny. Like, being out here in L.A. and, like, being a dad now, I'm definitely, like, getting into, like, guy stuff in a way that I've yeah. never been in before. Like, my lawn, old car. Take care <laughs> you of your know, stuff. Like, real, real dad stuff, you and know? You, and, you, and you kind of <laughs> grumble and complain. Yes. The same way you hear your dad or any dad growing up, if I was around my friend's dads, I can't have nothing. You know, yeah. or like, like, your kids always breaking stuff. Just like you don't take care of anything. 
You're always trying to teach your kids about the lessons of taking care of things. Yeah, You're like, yeah, yeah. we paid a lot of money for this. You got to take Am care still of on it. Screen? I just yeah. went down a little bit. Uh, it's always like, I, I, I always think about like how I sound to my kids. I sound like every dad I knew growing up, growing up, it's just like a grumpy, it feels grumpy, but it's not. It's actually just a mindful caring about the things that we have. So we take care of them because there's something in caring for something and making it, keeping it in, you know, good condition right. over time. There's a real quality to that that like is important in life, I think, as a characteristic, is a, is a, is a really good trait, I think, to be able to take care of things and not just, you know, leave it out or leave it, uh, you know, and, and um, my, you know, I get made fun of all the time by my wife and kids because I'm grumbling about something that's like kind of important. Yeah, it's funny. I try to like find a balance in that because, you know, it, I, I didn't grow up, like I grew up pretty, pretty poor. So I didn't have a lot of stuff. And my dad was very much like, you know, here's your one pair of pants. This is how you hang them. Yeah. You know, like take care of it. Yes. You know, like that vibe. Yes. And, and, you know, with my kids, like I don't want them to feel lack, right? Me at too. the same time, I don't want them to be spoiled either. You know, and it's, I don't know, I, I haven't figured out exactly how to, how to, how to walk that line yet. Um, I agree. Yeah, you have advice from I feel <laughs> the same way. I grew up with with not a lot, and I don't want my kids. And I struggled with a kind of early on, and to this day, I think I struggle with some of the poverty mind. Right. You know, this is the only one I'll ever have. Mm -hmm. I, there's some things about that that I think there's some qualities about that that I think are really good in some ways, but it, it, to a degree. But it can also hold us back from receiving what I think we all deserve. And I think it's a mindset of can I have or can, can I have not. Yeah, the, the abundance mindset. Yeah. yeah. And I believe in that. I believe in, 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 uh, in order to have things and receive things, you have to believe you deserve it. And you have to be comfortable to receive it. And you have to not struggle with the idea that it's, it's too good for you. There's something about someone who is willing to sacrifice, like you said, leave money on the table, like literally, and go into a field that is a service. And of course, in success, it can be really great, but it's not personal. It's really a team success. Um, and I just think it's interesting. It's an interesting choice because like you said, I think we're the only two that I know of um, our company, your company, and I try to think of other companies. Maybe we're wrong. There's probably, maybe there's one or more out there, but like the, of, of artists who literally were succeeding and succeeded and decided to take this other direction where we're actually working every single day in the music business, doing management of, you know, whether it's artist management or with you, it's the label. We have a label too. With It's, it's all the things that we have going on. It really is like a service industry. You're being of service to people every day and you're helping them. Yeah, know. it's funny. Like when you're talking, three things just came into my mind that, you know, especially when we're talking about where, where did these ideas come from? Like where does mentality come from? You know, and I just remembered three things at a young age that were imprinted in me. One is my grandfather, before he passed away, he told me like, he's like, the purpose of life is this, you know? And he said it in Spanish and I didn't understand it like for a long time. He said, he said, ser útil al próximo, which is like a, 
it, if you translate literally, it's, 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 it's have utility to the person next to you or something to, to, the, to the proximate person. I don't know. I don't, know. I, I don't understand <clears> it, you know? <throat> but then what it really means is to be of service of others. Yeah, to be useful to other people. Yeah, yeah, to, to be of service, right? Yeah. Like what, what you're saying, right? Like, because at the end of the day, when, you know, you see what happens when people get older, they either become grumpy and people are just like, oh, get this guy away from us, you know, and like- Bitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, or they become like these like, wise sages that everybody wants to go to their fountain to drink from their wisdom right fine wine yeah yeah yeah. and it's like and and you know the the way you become that is by adding value in people's lives so if you if you don't sacrifice what you want personally for yourself or what's perfect for you you're gonna become bitter because you're never gonna be happy it's like endless it's like an endless bottomless pit of like i want i want i want i want right um and especially when you're you're an artist that quality is um is reinforced all the time. Oh, what do you want? We'll get it, we'll get it. You're not happy with this, we'll, we'll fix it for you, you know? And it's like, you just become a big baby, you know? And then you become a big old baby. So, and nobody likes that. So, <laughs> so if you just want to have friends when you get older, if you want to be, be surrounded by people that care about you, you have to be adding value to their lives, right? So I think having that mentality with working with young artists is like the most important thing, I think, you know? And we always talk about that internally. It's like, listen, we can't force an artist. If an artist wants to disappear for two years, like, okay, we had a schedule. Yeah, we had this delivery. Okay, we're not going to do it. Like the artists then, they're, they're the ones that need to be excited about the project. They're the ones that are going to have to go on tour. If they're not excited about what they're doing, like, let's not force it. Let's give them the time they need to get excited, right? And you can't force that. You can just be there for a person and add value, you know? And then, you know, I thought of two other things. When I was younger, I saw this Guns N' Roses performance and he was wearing a Kill Your Idols shirt. And I even know there was a band called Kill Your Idols back then. I yeah. just saw Kill Your Idols and it was a picture of Jesus and just said, Kill Your Idols. I'm just like, what does that mean? Kill any idols? Kill your idols. Yeah. So that was like a hardcore band, I think. That's, that's what yeah, he was yeah. wearing. But, but, but I'm just like, what does Kill Your Idols mean? And that just like always was like in my head. And what you're saying is exactly right, that like people want to see you be successful in order to then tear you down. Yeah. There's something in our innate nature. Our I don't nature, know if it's yeah. like Jungian or like yeah. whatever it is. They want, they want pe- people love to see someone rise and then they want to see them torn down too, you know? It's the same. It's 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 like this weird dichotomy. It's almost diabolical, right? But but it's real. And when you feel that as an artist, you're just like, well, what's happening? Right. It's Lord of the Flies. It's that oldest tale. It's the it's like all the way back to like Adam and Eve. It's that it's the decision we get to make to to help or hurt each other. And I think it's the ultimate, um, this is just my perspective because I've thought about this before because I think it's like a global movement um, or it can be. And I think it's like, but it's an individual choice. Every day it's a choice. Do we hurt one another? Or do we help each other? And that highest evolved person helps. It's, yeah. it's the, it's that it's that it's that idea right it's that love your neighbor idea the highest evolution of a person is love is to do an act of love the lowest evolution is killing someone so you're reverting to an animal when you right. when you kill someone right. and so um and certainly um or assassinate their character or assassinate their character so yeah so what i'm saying emotionally energetically is we're we're evolving and it, we have to evolve I think we have to evolve as a species emotionally, and I think we have to make uh, that the, the modern world is information, the exchange of information. That's the energy exchange now as a mass 
where we used to be analog, we used to be physical. We used to, now we, we've, the, where the world is at this point in time, it's digital, but it's still energy. The mind is the flow of energy through us and information is energy. And so we are uh, the same way if I punch you physically, if I fire my words at you or my intentions at you, I'm still sending energy at you and it's either to hurt you or to help you. Right. And so we actually have to become conscious, I think, right? This is just my little musing. Um, I think we have to be conscious of what our intentions are every step of the way. And is my intention to hurt this person, whether, and it could be big things like someone I know over a long period of time, or it could be little things like the guy I see in the store or in traffic. There's, you know, the size of the interaction, I actually think there's a through line. And so what you said, be of service, is the fastest cure for that. If your first instinct or inclination is to hurt someone because you're hurting inside and you're just not feeling great that day and you're feeling insecure or, you know, first thing I always do when I'm angry at someone is checking with myself. Right. And that goes back to the question. That is not common. That is very rare. And what you're talking about, you know, in terms of like we all got to get to the state that we're like, you know, operating out of love and wanting to help there, you know, I love that idea, but it just seems like the world is going the opposite direction. You know, people are much more reactive. They're much quicker to point the blame at someone else. Um, so, you know, what I'm trying to figure out is like, how do we inspire people to want to check in with themselves, to want to really be motivated to share, to give, to operate out of love? Um, and that's hard, especially when, you know, it's very easy to feel angry and bitter with everything in the world. It's hard in its application for sure all the time, uh, I'm, you know, day to day, moment to moment. My, my, my sense is always kind of like, if I can get 80% right, I'll leave room for me to be 20% like wrong. No one has a perfect self-esteem. And some people, we can inflate them, we can make them, but like we are all dealing with the same stuff in different versions of it. And, and, and I think to, um, to find connectivity through these conversations, it's, it's really good for people out there that, that, that need to hear it. And even if it's just one person every week that you're helping, you know, not hurt themselves or I don't know, like just helping them in some way, I think there's a huge effect that it has in the world. Yeah. I mean, I love what you said about music because I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's why I'm in it. I think you get to a certain point with like everyone who, who, who is in music a little bit, they get to a certain point where they like decide, are they a lifer or not? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think the person who becomes a lifer is a person who really believes in the power of music, right? Yeah. Like what you're saying, right? So what's, what's so special about music? I mean, there's a lot of art, but music is like the most democratic of all arts, right? If you think about it. You, you, you have an idea in your head. It's almost like synesthesia, right? You have like, you hear these things in your head, you record it. You don't even, you're not even recording at the tape anymore. You're recording into digital ones and zeros right away. It goes ones and zeros into like your, someone else's phone across the whole world. Anyone an can instant, listen to it. In an instant, you know, crosses all geographic boundaries, all economic spheres, like, and it just connects people, right? And I think that's the amazing thing about art in general, but musicians in specific, is that, you know, what you're talking about bringing people back and bringing the organism of humanity back as a whole and us realizing that we're all brothers and sisters and having love and treating each other as if we're all family. The reason why that doesn't happen is because you have 
society and then you have outcasts. You have people who feel like they don't fit in. And then people come to be at war with their neighbors because they feel like they're not understood by their neighbors or slighted or this. It's, that's, that's like literally since the beginning of time. And where do artists fit into that? They stand at the perimeter of that. They stand on the border between society and outcasts, right? They can speak to both sides and they can hopefully bring peace between everybody. And think about this. You had a song and you put it out years ago and somewhere really, really far away uh, in like some little town in the middle of Russia, this kid listened to that song probably like a thousand times. Just became his, his, uh, his mantra. Something about it really just like hit him. Really poor kid in a village somewhere. He's like, I'm make them good girls go. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't even that song. It was some B side. Yeah, yeah, some B side song you didn't even care. You you didn't even I, think I about. I love the B sides. The deep cuts are the ones and, where it really really was more honest. And you or it's off a record that you were like, I don't even know how I feel about that record. But that one song makes it all the way over to this little far reaching corner of the of the earth. And this kid's listening to it for thousands of times. And he ends up that mantra. He takes that and he holds on to it and he starts he starts to apply it in these other places in his life. And then he gets works his way through college. He becomes this, this doctor. He becomes a, a very, very talented uh, uh, brain surgeon. And he's now performing uh, brain surgery and saving people's lives. And um, the song is a memory. He maybe will hear it from time to time and go... Oh uh, yeah, I remember that song. That was my song, man. That was my flag. I used to wave it. Like that was the thing that always motivated me. And now he's saving people's lives. To think that you powered and were a part of someone's mental capacity to go forward in the world and achieve, to me is the most important aspect of why you even released that one song that's now became part of the DNA of someone who is now in the world saving hundreds of lives. Yeah, and I mean, I, I love that. Now let's go deeper. The hundreds of lives he saved are people that are now going to invent things that are going to change the world for your kids and your kids' kids. That's what I think the power of music is when we really try to like zoom out and go like, what are we really doing? Right. Some shit, is cra it's crazy shit. I agree. And I think the amazing thing is that, I know this is true for you too, but and you and I were both that kid one yeah. day, you know? We needed the songs. I, I was that kid, I needed that song, some song from an artist that I never would meet, never even, maybe even say play live, right? But that music meant a lot to me. And records right? that words people would dismiss. Right. Like yeah. if you put that record or that Good Charlotte record or Midtown record or Cobra Starship or a bunch of other bands we know and love, if you took the music and you put it in front of any educated or serious music person, <laughs> right? They would dismiss it as not important, right. but they don't understand the, the, the critical part of life that this music speaks to. And that to me is why our genre and world we come from is the most underrated, overlooked genre of music because it's, it's kind of, it's, it's wrapped up in a label of, of like young or whatever. It's for 
actually super important in the development of people's. I'm only interested in working in music for young people. Yeah. I don't want to make music for 30 year olds. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. I, you know, I want, I want to impact a person when they're still impressionable and they need it. They need music to help them understand the world. Like that's how you're helping people. When, when it's like a fashion show, like I don't want to make music for fashion shows, you know, like I want music that will change people's lives. Right. Yeah. That's, and I want to work with artists who are making music for that. Like, that's why, that's also partly why, you know, I stopped making music because even if I love the music, you know, you just, just, there's just something about being 40 years old and trying to speak to a 15 year old kid. That's the like, energy changes. It's the energy changes. I feel you know? the same way. Like, and it just, part of it is also like, it just becomes not honest in a way, right? Because it's part of the reason why a young kid connects to someone just a little bit older than them is because they're still experiencing the same challenges, right? And, and we're still like immature in our yeah. 20s. We're still immature. We still relate to. But by being honest about that immaturity, being honest about the challenges and just like what you're going through, it helps other people who are going through the same things. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Who were your best friends back when you started as far as bands go, when you guys first started touring? Like what were the bands that were your guys's like, like the people you really knew and loved. I I, I wasn't I, I was around you guys, but I, I I was I felt like a maybe I wasn't an outsider and it was just me feeling like an outsider. I always felt like there was this like group of bands that knew each other, but like who were your friends that you would say like your your best friends? Newfound Glory. Yeah. The movie Life. Um, I love the movie Life. Me too. I love Newfound Glory. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I knew you guys. I knew you guys in Newfound were were tight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I used to when we were kids. I used to go on tour and stay and sleep at Chad's house when he lived with his parents. You know, like like we're like sixteen, seventeen year old kids. So Chad was like such a he 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 knew all the bands. Yeah, he was so like cool like that. He he's such a special person, you know, because he was always so positive. Yeah, very positive, encouraging, but. A hard ass too. Like, yeah, he was like, like a hardcore he, kid. I remember, well, well, yeah, he was a hardcore kid playing pop punk, which is crazy. He was a singer of Shai Hulu and he was singing Shai Hulu, you yeah. know, and then he like is, is a great guitar player and is this kind of like pop punk band. But it was really like, it was, you know, post emo. I mean, that first Newfound Glory record is, is comes from like the third stage emo world, you know? Yeah. But, but I just mean like his bar, like he would just push everyone, you know, he was, right. he was the engine of that band. I remember he told me something, he's like, Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Right. If you just go and practice and you keep making the same fucking mistake every time, you're not going to get better, you know? So I just remember he just pushed me to be better. You also pushed me to be better once. I remember once you told me, you're like, on our first record, you're like, yeah, your verses are really good, but you you you, you got to work on your choruses. And I just, you know, I wasn't thinking about music then yet at the time, you know? So, you know, oh, and it's just like, uh, you know. You know I like your choruses, so I don't know what uh, I was later, talking about. Later, I've been improved, but if I was just like, oh, I have to think about, because my choruses were basically- I mean, look at Cobra Starship, uh, dude. Choruses. I figured out the chorus thing. <laughs> I figured out the chorus thing. But I, I, you know, you were right. When I first was writing, I was just writing choruses. And that's like a very like punk rock trait. Like mm-hmm. your choruses are just basically alternate verses, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. just a little bit catchier, but still wordy. Nothing repeats, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, those are some of my favorite records, you know, like Saves the Day. Like, it's just like- you I know, love Saves Me today. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben had a huge influence me musically. I never met him. Ever. You never met him? No. To this day? To this day. Bro. Was such a fan of their music. Oh had my a God. huge influence on me uh, musically. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I was tight with them too. I had. I have a funny story about Saves the Day. Like I, I remember I saw them for the first time. Saves the Day, I think, just really changed the game. You know, and I think people don't give them enough credit for it they now. They don't get enough they credit. They don't get enough credit now. But they changed everything. Like I saw them 
play. The first time I saw him play was at a VFW show in Boonton, New Jersey. And it was this hardcore band called Ensign. And it was a record release show. Ensign, I think, I can't remember what label they were on. But the band that opened, um, I never heard of them before. And I see someone like setting up the drums and he's wearing like a puffy, he's a really skinny kid, skinny jeans. And this is the era where in like hardcore shows, everyone's wearing cargo shorts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, like New big, balances and baggy, cargo shorts. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> cargo shorts, you know, the choker necklaces, everything yes, was just like- I remember big. that. So there's a kid with like really skinny jeans. This is in 1997, 98. Really skinny jeans and a puffy- polo jacket it said yeah. polo on the back of it really big and i'm like you would never see that at a hardcore show back then you know yeah. like like it was very fashionable and i'm just like i thought it was like someone uh, someone in the band's friend helping set up the drums and it turned out it was the drummer from saves a day and they're playing and and like the kid is you know chris i think was like 17 at the time his voice was even higher then than it is on his record you wow. know so he's like singing super high pitch really melodic i'm like dude this band is amazing who are they they're like hey guys we made vegan cookies if you guys want any they're like you know they're tabling yeah. they're handing out pamphlets like they're doing Doing all the hardcore scene stuff, you know, but they're like playing like this really melodic stuff. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I bought the cassette with it. They're like, we just signed to Equal Vision Records, which at the t until then was like a tough guy hardcore label. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, wow, these like really skinny, you know, cute. And like that was boyish. a show you got to go to as a teenager. As a teenager. I was That's just a teenager. so cool yeah, that you got yeah, to yeah, be yeah. there for yeah. that. New Jersey had something very special. Yeah, New fun. Jersey had a lot of cool opportunity for music fans and guys coming up, obviously, you 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 end up with a career in music, but like it all was born in probably like a twenty mile VFW radius. VFW shows, bro. Yeah, VFW dude. I have shows. a I saw I saw a flyer online a VFW show. Get up kids at the drive-in saves a day midtown. And that's VFW, stupid, man. Yeah, yeah, that's stupid. That's crazy. It's really funny. So yeah, they, they're amazing. And then and then I was in a band at that time, like a high school band before Midtown called Humble Beginnings that I got kicked out of. So I got kicked out of that band. I'm just like, fuck this, I'm going to school. I'm in school. Like, Why did you get kicked out? Like I didn't get a good reason. I can speculate. My speculation is that the dynamic of the band, I just played bass in the band. And it was kind of like a fallout boy dynamic where I was right. the bass player, but everyone knew me. And you the singer the was a little- man. Yeah, I didn't sing. I just played bass, you know? But but the singer was a little bit introverted. Right. You know, and this is, goes to what I was saying about the human nature. Like, I definitely like wanted the spotlight. I was outgoing. Yeah. I yeah. put on a show on stage. For sure. Um, and- but I wasn't like boxing anybody out. But sometimes when you have big energy, people can feel boxed out. But that's one thing I realize now when I'm older, like, you know, I have a lot of energy and I can take up a lot of air in the room. I don't do it to suck anybody else's air out. But, you know, sometimes now like enthusiasm. I try to be, Yeah. And I'm, I'm passionate. I'm enthusiastic. I don't feel like I should necessarily have to make myself small because other people don't feel that way. Yeah. But sometimes I do anyway, just out of respect. Yeah. Know? there's it, It's that, weird. Yeah. It's like a dance you do. It's a dance. And you find your, I always say like we get in where we fit in and then we kind of like start dancing together and then sometimes you lead sometimes i lead but like i have big energy sometimes too i'm yeah. a front man of a band yeah, yeah. um sometimes i want to take the mic yeah and i can overdo it for sure but when you learn to dance with people you start to get a good feel but they have to want to be in the you know they have to want to be in the group right and some people just begrudge you just because you have that and they don't yeah and i think that's what happened in mid in uh, humble beginnings i yeah. just feel like the singer just was uh just begrudged me for, for that. It. And he's just like, bye. And I was like, okay, fuck this. I'm going to school. Um, and did any of those guys go on to be in any other bands that you, that were, that like go, went on? No, okay. unfortunately, no. All right. Um, Sometimes uh, that's cool too. I mean, you know, like I, I don't, I don't talk to those guys really, but, but when I've seen them, it's cool now. Like, you know, what do I have to be angry about? You know? Yeah, whatever. Um, 
Yeah, but but um, but it was great. I'm I'm glad that happened because then I started Midtown. But it, I was like right at the beginning of Midtown. We just had done some rehearsals. Midtown wasn't a thing, and the Saves a Day record came out. The first album came out. I bought it the first day. Right. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. I remember being in the shower at Brett Hall at Rutgers. Okay, I remember shampooing my hair with herbal essence shampoo and just thinking, man, I would love to be in Saves a Day. You know? Yeah, yeah. That night, I go into the city to see uh, Elliot play at Coney Allen High. Okay, and I'm there in the crowd and. I see this kid, I'm like, hey, dude, this might be a weird question, but are you the drummer from Saves the Day? He goes, yeah, it's not weird, that's me. I'm like, so we start talking, end up, uh, we end up hanging. I played him Newfound Glory that night. And I was like, I was like, dude, there's another band that kind of sounds like what you guys are doing too. Like, and I played him Newfound Glory, I was like, wow, this is sick. And then we ended up playing, go back to his dorm with his friends at NYU and played uh, 007 until like two in the morning. He's like, he's like, actually, we're looking for a new guitar player. I'm like, I'm a bass player. I don't really play guitar. He's like, well, if you want to try out anyway. So I tried out for Saves a Day. That's the funny side story. Oh, wow. And I did not make it because I was not a good guitar player. I'm barely a good bass player. But uh, I did not make it in Saves a Day, but we stayed friends. And then, um, hmm. and then, yeah, we played a bunch of shows in Jersey forever together and toured together. And I was on the, I'm on the CD of um, Through Being Cool. Oh, in the uh, in the group of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's There's dope. a picture of me kissing my college girlfriend on the actual CD of Through uh, Being Cool. Oh, wow. I was 19. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. So funny, yeah. But that was like, those were like... And then we met shortly after that on the Newfound tour. Uh, when I feel Newfound. like it was in Philly. We played together for the first oh, time, right? Oh, right. We did play together we played in Philly. Before Newfound, yes. Before Newfound. Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. We played a show together in Philly. That's, that's the first right. time I met you guys. TLA? Yes. Yeah. Oh, the smaller one next door, like uh, uh, maybe it was too late. It no, was no, a, it no. Was really the Cadillac. Uh, um, it was like a bar. Cadillac Grill. Yeah, yeah. I Cadillac that. Grill. Yeah, that sounds right. Which I don't even know if that's still the name of I it. Don't but know if it is, but I, I remember seeing you guys, and I just remember just being blown away by your harmonies. I'm like, holy shit! Oh my god, it's not fair. Yeah, the twins. We always like that. <laughs> that's how good Charlotte all, all started on acoustic guitars, writing songs, and. Uh, no, we thought we were good at harmonies, but you guys just were crushing it, bro. You guys were good at harmonies. Yeah. And you grew up in Queens. I just. Oh, I know. I, we started this interview about my story. So, yeah, from so, Uruguay to Queens to Jersey. That's basically the long right, and short but, of it. So, uh, but yeah. the, it, the, the one thing that stuck out, the thing I've been thinking about every single time you start telling stories, I always go back to, and maybe this just is like, I don't know what it's like to grow up in like the greater New York, New Jersey area, but it always kind of is romanticized for me because of movies and, and TV and stuff. But like Maryland in the sticks is just a different thing. Um, what's it like to grow up in Queens? I grew up in a pretty like like scary area of Queens. It wasn't scary, but it's just like was it I couldn't suburban? like ride. No, 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 no. It was like city. And okay. it was like the city that was like the low income right. of people who service Manhattan. Right. Right. So I think when I was growing up, it was a very Hispanic neighborhood. Like I remember, like I wasn't allowed to ride my bike around the corner. Right. We found uh, a butterfly knife. Me and my brother found a butterfly knife outside my building. And we were like, well, this is cool. We brought it to school. You know, like it's just like, <laughs> just stuff. stuff. I remember like driving one time and like we're driving like some kids in the corner, like threw fireworks at our car. Like, you know, it, it wasn't the, the, the safest neighborhood, especially back then in the eighties, you know, the eighties and, and late eighties, early nineties in New York was like, it was dangerous, bro. Like you'd, it, you'd go into the city. Absolutely. That's, that was the eighties and nineties. Like mm -hmm. that was the idea of New York. But I just think it's interesting. I'm sitting here in 2023 with a guy whose family immigrated here uh, from South America and grew up in Queens and is now a music executive 
with a wife and kids living in Los Angeles. Fucking crazy, right? Uh, living a, uh, like a really, you know, uh, living a for, what seems like a very fulfilling life. Only in America. Uh, but like that, <laughs> but, but honestly, like that to me, like we talk about all this stuff and we have uh, the luxury yeah. of analyzing our feelings and, and, you know, the luxury of having the tools that we have now compared to what our parents and their parents had to do to get us here. And we are standing on their shoulders, but I always think about like, yes, I'm I'm hyper focused on growth and progress and for myself to to evolve, but I have the luxury, right? And there are people who are still trying to get their family stable and get their position on the board stable so that their kids will have the luxury of have of being able to analyze how am I doing this? Can I do it better? Can I make a strategy that'll work for me? Um, your strategies work for you. Um, but I just think it's cool when I think about your story. I'm like, oh wow, immigrated here in Queens, New Jersey, goes through the crazy music ride, and here we are in 2023. You're raising a family in Los Angeles, building a company, and with 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 a wealth of of, of experience and and uh, the career you've had. I just think it's cool, man. I think I think that's a great story. Thanks, bro. It's, it's interesting to hear it like all summed up like that. But yeah, it's I, I feel very grateful, you know, and I think it's good to remember that. And I, I think no matter where you are in life, you know, back to what you were saying before, it's like being grateful for whatever you have is what's gonna help you get more. You know, people think that being angry and you know is what is what motivates you. It's like, no, you need to be motivated and be grateful because what's the point in getting anything if you're angry when you get it? You yeah. Know? So I'm, I'm sure you experienced that when you were younger, you know, you, you get stuff, but you're still angry. You can't enjoy it. You know, what I learned to do is look inside instead of outwards and go like, what's wrong? What, what, why am I feeling this way? It, it does start with me. And I learned that all the problems I thought I had with everyone were actually me. It wasn't them. And 99% of my problems start here in, in, in me. And, and, you know, I think that like, why does that always happen to me mentality? You can have it when you're younger and you grow up in a, in a tougher place, but like you realize like, oh no, it, it's me. It's how I feel about myself. It's how I feel. And it's my gratitude. It's all the things that we can work on. Each of us probably have a different one we need, but like hundred percent gratitude and hey, yeah. Self-awareness, self-reflection. Self I mean, yeah. I, I think that I, I would not, you know, I, I think that's a very rare thing. I think you should be uh, very uh, both proud of yourself and grateful that you have that, you know? And I think if anyone listening takes away one thing today, it's just like, just that moment for self-reflection, looking within and just like maybe entertaining the possibility that you, how do I say this? I, you know, I, when I say people, it's your, when things go bad in your life, taking responsibility for it. it doesn't mean that it's your fault, but it's actually empowering. It means that you have the power to change what you're not happy about. Yep. You don't need to look to anybody else to change what you're not happy with. Yep. Right. Looking inward. I think that's very important. And I think, I think uh, if everyone did that more, including myself, including you, you know, I think and keep reaching and keep reaching for, uh, I'm, I'm never going to stop trying to do bigger shit Yeah. and be bigger and yeah. be better and be yeah. faster. You know what I mean? Uh, faster, I think, as as we get older, we just can't help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, 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 I do think I can still put some. Uh, no, but the last thing to go is that old man strength. You know, but, the death grip. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I'd like to get to a place where I come up with an idea, I get to the through the process to execution faster, and then from execution to success, I get there faster. Like yeah. for me, it's like how fast, and and then 
what part can I not speed up? Because there is some stuff that you have to like, it just takes the time it takes. But then where are the places where I can actually cut out a bunch of meaningless steps? And like, I'm always constantly like kind of analyzing that too, like our process. Are we too slow here? And is it because of X, Y, and Z? And how do we fix that? And sometimes fixing it is literally just a factor that you can't control. Like maybe it's money. Maybe we need more money to put into this to make it go. So maybe we can't do that right now. Or maybe this, like whatever it is though, like I always want to get faster at like my process to know that I'm like optimized, optimized, optimized. And I think that like, it's a, that if I obsess over anything, um, it's understanding process and then optimizing the process. Yeah. And like, and then where does that in each state area of my life, what is what does that mean? Yeah. Like, what's my process with my family? And again, like it's a little too analytical sometimes. And my my wife and kids don't always want to hear it. They're like, right, right. okay, dad, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> you just go, okay, yeah. I'm just gonna sit and listen and and be a part of the fam. Uh, That's a skill too, man. That's a skill that takes that takes work to be able to do that, you know. And I probably can't, still can't teach you guys to pick up after yourselves and take Dude. care of shit. What is that? Uh, and tr- not like. I got in my car this morning and Nicole had taken it to pick up um, our daughter from dance. And it was like someone, it was trashed. Yeah. And I was like, in 30 minutes, you guys trashed the front of this car. Like they had a full meal in it or something and then just left everything. I was like, who does that? Who has a meal? <laughs> I don't even eat in other people's cars, but it's dad's car. So of course, which is fine. But who no, leaves? Dad, my kids know there's no eating in dad's car. That's, That's what my period. old rule yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. But when no they become eating. teenagers, oh, yeah. they do not give a fuck. Really? I'm just like, walk. They literally <laughs> are like, roll their eyes. So I've, 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 I've submitted that like you guys can eat in my car, but you just have to take your shit out. Like I feel like the guy it, that's asking for the stapler, yeah, in yeah. that movie, um, uh, office, yeah. office space, yeah, office space. Like, could, if you're gonna eat in my car, maybe yeah. um, you can just throw away your trash. Uh, anyway, so I, I, I was so pissed off this morning. I was like, my son doesn't do it. It's the girls. It's crazy. You have three, two, two, two. kids, two kids. Okay, yeah. Oh, girls uh, older. She's older. Yeah, she doesn't give a fuck. She just smiles and goes, okay, daddy. How old is she? 15. 15, your son? 13. They say, tell me if this is true. They say that girls are easier when they're younger and older when they're harder. Harder when they're older. Uh, Yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But it's, but it's also amazing. Like you have a girl? No, all boys. Three boys. There's a, the girl dad thing is a real thing. Everyone tells me like, everyone's like, oh yeah, you just need to have a girl that'll soften you up a little bit. It is a real thing. Like, like she could do, and honestly, she could do whatever she wants. Like she, she laughs at me because she, she's also the one that would stick up for me for anything. Like she's, she's, she's amazing. Uh, We have a, a, the girl dad thing is real. It's really cool. It's, um, it's, it's great. Boys are great too though. But, uh, okay. Thanks. My brother. Appreciate it. Great to see you, man. Thank yeah. you. No bad times. I don't want no bad. Hey, thank you for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Artist Friendly. We'll see you next time. This car only take premium gas. I love my engine. I'm not smoking on gas. I'm smoking on piff. That's my kind. I don't want no bad times. I don't.